Welcome to Phoenix and Flame, pushing through and transforming even when you feel like a pile of ash. This podcast is not intended for use as psychotherapy. If you feel you are in crisis, please call 911 or contact your local crisis hotline. Welcome to Phoenix and Flame. I'm Dana, and this is my podcast on pushing through and transforming even when you feel like a pile of ash. I've started an interview series called You're Not Alone, and although not every episode is going to be an interview, um, I kind of will upload those as they come along, but today I'm going to sort of do a debriefing on the interview on divorce, which was the last interview. As my guest was talking, I couldn't help but thinking of various stories that I've heard from different people who have gone through different types of divorces and thinking that there were several points that needed to be discussed. So I thought I would just take an episode today and talk about those points before I post any more interviews. I guess one of the first things that came to my mind is if you feel that you have been uh, in a, you know, dysfunctional childhood, that you've experienced a dysfunctional childhood, then you may want to go ahead and just start out by getting some therapy before you seriously pursue a relationship. Because what happens in a lot of cases, now clearly not all, but in a lot of cases, we end up pursuing the things that are familiar to us. And so if we are familiar with being treated badly, with being disrespected, then we are going to feel very comfortable with someone doing that to us moving forward in our relationships And this does not bode well. Furthermore, if we view ourselves, and this is probably even more important, possibly, if we view ourselves as less than, somehow unlovable, then that is really going to significantly impact who you choose for a partner and what you allow from that partner, what kind of behavior you allow that partner to engage in with you. If you have respect for yourself and you love yourself and you know that you have value, then you will expect a certain type of behavioral interaction from a partner. But if you do not love yourself, if you even hate yourself, if you see yourself as having very little worth, because maybe that's what you experienced in your childhood years, then you're going to go into a relationship and it's, it's not going to be healthy because more than likely you're going to attract that which is familiar to you, which is someone who doesn't see your value, someone who's comfortable with you hating yourself and not respecting yourself. 
and this just sets up a dysfunctional interaction. Now, I'm not saying this happens every single time by any means. I mean, there are people out there who come from dysfunctional childhoods, and they happen to find a wonderful partner, a wonderful person that just teaches them about love and teaches them how to care about themselves and how to respect themselves and shows them what love is. And that's just amazing when that happens. That's just wonderful. But sometimes it doesn't happen that way. And so if you have experienced a dysfunctional childhood, then what could it hurt to just get into therapy, kind of let the therapist dig around a little bit and just kind of see if you happen to have any trigger points that are going to be activated in current relationships that might encourage you to continue the dysfunctional pattern that you came from, which you don't want to do that. But if you have trigger points, you're not necessarily going to be aware of them until your ass over elbows in it. And so that's why it's helpful to go ahead and find a therapist right from the get-go. Of course, you know, since I'm a therapist, I'm biased in that. I think everyone should have a therapist. I've said this before. Life is hard and peopling is hard and having relationships is hard. And going to a therapist is a wonderful place you can go where it's non-judgmental and it's confidential and you can share things and dig around and in your past and find out, you know, do you carry around trigger points that have nothing to do with the present? So that would be a good thing to do. Also, when you're dating, pay attention. Behavior patterns, particularly dysfunctional behavior patterns, are frequently on display, but we filter what we see because we don't want to see some negative behavior pattern. Now, let me say we all have bad days. And I'm not saying you should be examining everybody with a, some kind of microscope. That's not what I'm saying. But I am suggesting that you be aware of patterns. If, something does, if somebody does something one time, who cares? But if there is a pattern there, open your eyes. Don't wait until it's too late. See what's in front of you. I mean, for example, some things that came to mind... Let's say you go out to eat with someone for your very first date, meaning if I'm talking to a female, meaning that the guy doesn't know you, okay? And you go to the bathroom while you're waiting on the, the server to come. And the server came while you were in the bathroom and the, the guy that you're with ordered for you. Hmm. What do you think that might suggest? Now, keep in mind, this is the first time you've been out with this individual. He doesn't know you. He doesn't know what you like. He doesn't know what you don't like. So think about that. That might indicate that he's rather controlling. It might indicate he's rather narcissistic. And if he likes something, then you must like it too. And he just ordered for you without even knowing what you like. Now, he might have had really good intentions, thinking, you know, he's tried something there before and it was just amazing and he wanted to surprise you with it. Like I said, you need to look for patterns, not just one thing. 
Or, for example, someone that doesn't hear you say no. They're like, okay, well, uh, we're going to go see um, a baseball game tonight. And you're like, no, I don't, I don't want to go. And they're just like, well, we're going. Put your shoes on. So, again, when you say no, does the other person hear you? And this goes either gender. And, again, just one time, who cares? Because, I mean, I could build a case where maybe you were depressed and the other person was trying to get you out of the house. And they said, put your shoes on. We're getting out of this house. And in that case, they would be trying to, you know, help you. But I'm talking overall, if you, if you try to say no or you do say no at different things and they just ignore your no, this is not a good sign. And again, if you're in therapy, you can take that experience, that interaction into therapy and discuss it with your therapist. Also keep in mind that people who are abusive or have dysfunctional behavior patterns, they have a tendency to test out potential partners. And sometimes they're doing it consciously, and sometimes it's subconscious. They don't even know they're doing it. But it's almost like radar. I don't even know if I would believe this if I hadn't seen it happen. But the the people who want to behave in these dysfunctional pathological ways, they try it out, and they see, will this person allow me to behave this way? Can I get by with this? Will they be okay with me doing this? And so that's why I'm saying when you're dating, pay attention. Again, you don't have to be judgmental or anything like that, but just keep your eyes open. There's a lot of times people, they filter things out that they don't want to see because maybe someone's really lonely and they just really, really want to have a person to go to festivals with and to hang out with because they're just so alone. Loneliness can be really, really terrible. And so sometimes when people are in those situations, they overlook a lot. And sometimes the things that they overlook end up biting them on the ass later. So when you're dating, just keep your eyes open. Now, the next part, just getting just very blunt, it's just about having sex, okay? Especially unprotected sex. Because anytime you have sex with someone, you're opening up a possibility that you could get pregnant or you could get your girlfriend pregnant. So unless you all, unless you want to go through an abortion experience slash trauma or go through adoption, if a pregnancy happens, then that child will tie you to this other person for the rest of your life. And that takes it to a whole other level. And plus, like it or not, not only will you have to go through something that is potentially dysfunctional, but you're going to have to witness your child experiencing it too. This is not pleasant. And so I know people, you know, sexual interaction is, is a part of getting to know one another and this kind of stuff. And people have different views on sex. There's lots of different views on that. But I'm just saying, if you get pregnant, it just opens up a whole, a whole bunch of stuff that you have to think about. 
in terms of connecting you with someone who may be dysfunctional. There won't be any, well, you know, my therapist and I talked and, you know, this isn't a healthy relationship for me, so see you later. No, none of that. Not if you're pregnant or not if your girlfriend's pregnant. It won't work like that. You got to work out visitation rights and all kinds of stuff. And when the child's going to their house, your house, somebody's house, it's it can get really sticky. You have to think about that. So just be very, very careful along those lines. Also, if you're in a relationship already with someone, try to catch any kind of troublesome areas early on. Maybe consider couples therapy. I mean, really, what do you have to lose? Couples therapy can only help you. It may not be pleasant at first, but if you have a good therapist, they're going to you know, provide a safe environment for you to be honest and for your partner to be honest and to help you work it out into a healthy interaction with each other. Now, if your partner refuses to acknowledge that you all have any problems, or maybe your partner acknowledges the problems but refuses to get any help, then that's a pretty clear message. And it's not a good one. People, by their very nature, you know, we, we have issues. We have problems. And you put us together with somebody else, and relationships create problems. And so I think it's a good idea for, again, I'm biased, I know, but for couples to have some couples therapy. At least have a person that you know that you can go to. You don't have to go all the time, but maybe when something arises that you feel like is out of your control, that you have somebody you can go to. If you're in a relationship with someone and they refuse to acknowledge there's any problem and or they refuse to do anything about it, This is not a good sign. Problems can be addressed. Problems can be fixed. And a couple can be stronger for it. Even infidelity. You know, a couple can come through those things and be stronger on the other end. But the couple needs to acknowledge there's an issue and then be willing to do something about it. So if you're in a relationship with someone and they don't, they don't acknowledge an issue, and even if they do, they, they're refusing to do anything about it. Where do you think that's going to go? Just play that out for a minute. That's not a good sign. Another thing I was thinking about as I was listening to my guest talk about her divorce experience was the frog in the pot syndrome. And for those of you that don't know what that is, it's basically if you if you throw a frog into a pot of boiling water, it will jump right back out. But if you put a frog in a pot of cool to lukewarm water and then very slowly increase the heat, it will literally sit in there until it's cooked. It won't even jump out. And some relationships and some problems develop like that. They develop very, very slowly, rather insidiously, and you don't realize you're the frog in the pot until you're practically cooked. 
Now, keeping in mind problems usually get worse instead of getting better if there's no intervention. So if there's something going on in your relationship, like I said just a few minutes ago about reaching out to couples therapy, acknowledge it, identify it, talk about it to one another. If you can't solve it with each other, that's okay. That's what couples therapists are for. But if you don't address it, it's more than likely going to get worse. And then it's going to be really bad. And you're going to have a lot worse things to have to deal with. If you think something's just going to magically evaporate, it more than likely will not. Now, there are some issues that happen along the way, and they do just disappear, but that's not the majority. Something else that I was hearing in the the prior interview was the habit that is rather common in these kind of relationships is codependency. Codependency was a term that was coined in the 1970s when research started to be engaged with uh, families of alcoholics and realizing how the families were changing around the alcoholic. Now, you can put alcoholic and take that out and put drug abuser. You can put somebody with a significant mental illness, whatever you want to do. But codependency is, another word for that is an enabler. Someone who is doing what I call the eggshell dance that they're dancing around trying not to crack any shells. So people that have significant issues, they will scatter eggshells out around everywhere they go and expect everyone around them to hop around all the shells, to speak how they want them to speak with the right tone, the right spacing, the right volume, to do it with the right intention. It just goes on and on and on. And it's quite difficult, actually, to resist being codependent when you're with someone who has a significant issue. Someone who, like I mentioned earlier, will not acknowledge that there's a problem and they certainly are not motivated to do anything about it. Then it's almost impossible not to slip into a codependent pattern. An example that I can give you would be like if um, there's a codependent wife and mother and her husband was an alcoholic and he got mad one night after he drank too many beers or had too many whiskeys or whatever and he punched a hole in the wall. Well, something a codependent wife and mother might do is she might find some kind of picture and put it over the hole and just act like it's not there because she feels helpless She doesn't know what to do, so she just tries to ignore it. Well, the more this kind of behavior is ignored, it's enabled. And it's hard to break that unless you have the help of a therapist. Now, when you're breaking a codependent pattern, you will be cracking eggshells. You're walking a straight line, a healthy line, and eggshells are cracking under your feet, which means the other person is going to get mad because you're not doing their eggshell dance. It's a form of setting boundaries, and when you set boundaries with someone who is dysfunctional, they do not like it, and so that's part of learning how to set boundaries is knowing the other person is not going to like it and learning how to keep going anyway, 
keep walking that straight, healthy line, even though the other person is getting angry, they don't like it, that kind of thing. If you happen to be in a situation like that, but you don't feel strong enough in your own strength, then go get a therapist. If your partner will not go with you, you go by yourself. Get a therapist for yourself, a therapist that can help strengthen you and encourage you and support you to be a healthy, strong person that you can be. Now, I mentioned boundaries that kind of goes along with codependency. Boundaries also involve communicating your issues to your partner and not holding them in and then becoming resentful and passive aggressive. Because we frequently talk about boundaries in terms of not taking responsibility for someone else's thoughts and someone else's feelings and actions. That's half. The other half of boundaries is looking at your own yard and taking responsibility for your own thoughts and feelings and actions and knowing that other people cannot read your mind. So if your partner is doing something that is frustrating you and you find yourself becoming resentful and bitter about it, it is your responsibility to speak it in a respectful way to your partner, however uncomfortable that might be. And to be honest, the sooner you can have these conversations, the better. The longer you put it off, the bigger deal it becomes. Before long, it's like the pink elephant in the room that everybody's having to walk around. This is not a good thing. Speak your thoughts and feelings. It's not really fair. It's not fair to the other person. If you are being resentful of something they're doing, something they're doing is really bothering you a lot and they don't even know it. You might think, well, Dana, they should know it. It's common sense. Well, I don't argue that. But if they don't know and you haven't spoken your words, that's not their responsibility to read your mind. So that's part of boundaries is speaking respectfully to the other person. And again, if you feel too weak, scared, to do that because there's some relationships to be honest where someone feels if I speak my mind I might get hit or at the very least screamed at and cussed at and called names and nobody wants to experience that go to see a therapist have the therapist help you become strong something else to consider is when people are in a relationship and it's dysfunctional and they're not doing anything about it they're not getting their needs met They do not feel particularly close to their partner. They do not feel emotionally close or physically close to their partner. And that means that both people are vulnerable to affairs. So they start reaching out to other people. Or if someone else reaches out to them, maybe a coworker or a friend's brother or friend's sister or something like that, somebody that they met at a party, a gathering, a holiday gathering, and then you just start talking. And before long, you're talking about these things that are concerns of your heart and you're sharing them with this other person because you need so badly to feel emotionally connected to someone. And you're not connected to your partner because of these issues that aren't being addressed. Both people become very vulnerable to having emotional and physical affairs, which makes everything 10 times worse. The last thing I wanted to bring up is the importance of family and friends. Make sure that you continue to foster your relationships with your family and your friends over time, as opposed to detaching from them. 
I know life gets busy. I know it takes intention, but it is worth it to make the time to be with your family and be with your friends. Keep those relationships watered. Pay attention to them. And also keep in mind, if your partner is pushing you to detach from your relationships with your family and your friends, this is not a good sign. Now, having said that, every situation is different. Possibly if you have family that is extremely dysfunctional and your partner might be encouraging you not to, not to interact with them because they are dysfunctional and they are hurting you. That's another situation, okay? I'm talking about if you have healthy family and you have healthy friends and your partner is encouraging you to pull away from those relationships, to not reach out, to not go to their gatherings, to not return the phone calls, to not return the texts, to just be with your partner and that's it. This is not a good sign, okay? Typically, that type of thing is a controlling move from a partner who is trying to have more control over you. If you are with someone who is healthy, more than likely they are going to want you and encourage you to have wonderful friends and healthy relationships with your family as well. To go on girls weekends and go places with your family, this is a good thing. The more the merrier. So keep those relationships close because if something does skid sideways with your partner, like my previous guest mentioned, you know, she reached out to her friends and it was hard for her to do that. She mentioned some embarrassment, some shame involved, but her friends were the ones that helped her to find her way. They were there to encourage her and build her up. I don't really know what someone might do in these kinds of cases if they're having significant issues with their partner and they don't have a therapist and they don't really have friends or family, it would be very scary. But that does not have to be your situation. If you happen to be in a relationship like we're talking about, reach out to your friends, reach out to your family, make the effort, spend the time, reach out to a therapist. There's so many positive things you can do to be healthy and to be strong. So I hope some of these comments have helped some listener out there or listeners. Maybe you're in a situation like I've described. Maybe you have a friend or a family member who's in a relationship like I've described. I would encourage you to share this episode on whatever Facebook or social media or Twitter or whatever social media platform is your preference to share it to encourage other people to listen so we can grow our Phoenix and Flame community and help one another. I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day. This is Dana on Phoenix and Flame.